Good afternoon, patriots. You are listening to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk Omicron, Joe Manchin, and finish up by answering the question, are we seeing the end of the Democratic Party? Next, on Living with Liberty. When you are a complete failure, and you have no hope of delivering on your campaign promise to defeat the virus, what do you do? Why you triple down on blaming the dirty unvaccinated, of course. When have we ever, in the history of our country, seen a president continue to point blame at a certain group of people for the failures of his administration? When, in the history of our country, have we seen a president continue to antagonize and threaten a group of people? The continued lies and divisiveness from this administration are grotesque. An administration that, oh, by the way, did nothing but preach unity at the start, and from there continued to divide our country. Here's the latest from uh, our illustrious president in his, um, I guess, cajoling to get people to take their therapeutic injection. He said this, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for the unvaccinated, for themselves, their families, and the hospitals they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated and you have your booster shot, You're protected from severe illness and death. That's what the residence handlers wrote for him to say. And it's a total lie. You are not necessarily protected from severe illness. You are not necessarily protected from death. Are your chances uh, lessened? Probably. I'd say the data might point that way for sure, but you're not protected 100% guaranteed from severe illness and death. Now, let's be real here. This coronavirus has been around for two years now. We have two years of data on the effects of the virus. We now know what we are dealing with when it comes to COVID. We know the risks and rewards of the therapeutic injections available. Everyone at this point has made their choice in whether they are going to take the therapeutic injection or not. And yes, I will now be referring to it as a therapeutic injection, since vaccines by nature and definition provide immunity to disease. They prevent disease. And a therapeutic will lessen and alleviate symptoms. This, what is, what they're calling a vaccine for COVID is no such thing. It is a therapeutic that will supposedly lessen your chances of severe illness. So no, it is not a vaccine. A vaccine prevents spread. A vaccine prevents illness. A vaccine eradicates disease. This is none of that. So yes, I will not be calling it a vaccine. It's a therapeutic injection. Now, 
is the illness more serious for some people versus others? Yes, it absolutely is. The data bears that out. Talking to people that you know who have had it bears that out. If you have comorbidities, if you have other health risks, yeah, you are at higher risk for severe effects from COVID. And you know what? You may consider taking the therapeutic injection you may already have. But that's a decision best left to each individual, not a senile president, and certainly not some unelected corruptocrat at a government agency. The numbers, if we're being honest, if we're being truthful, and if any of the mediocres in the media or the buffoons in government were being truthful with us, they would reference their own numbers on the CDC website. The numbers bear out that you are not likely to die from COVID. Going back to the resident and chief's divisive blame game statement here saying that the unvaccinated are in for a winter of, of death and heartache. Not true. Now, the numbers will bear this out. I'll cover it in a minute. There's one other thing, I, one other statistical trick I want to throw your way here so you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. The mediocres in the media will keep saying things like this, and they'll keep throwing numbers and statements out like this one. They'll say, the unvaccinated are 15 times more likely to die than the vaccinated. And that number, though, Oh, by the way here, that number keeps declining as more and more people experience therapeutic injection failure. Now, the last statistic I saw that this was down to uh, 11 times more likely or so. Now, they use these ratio type numbers to keep people afraid. Notice how none of the actual numbers that are driving that ratio are referenced when they give these statistics. So the question needs to be asked about the sample size of this, of, of this ratio that they're giving here, because in the grand scheme of things, the sample size they are actually using for these numbers is quite small. Yes, if you, you have a 15 to 1 ratio in the hospital of unvaccinated to vaccinated, and all 15 of those vaccinated people die, yeah, you are 15 more uh, 15 times more likely to die if you're unvaccinated than if you're vaccinated. But that number keeps going down. Why? Because the sample sizes keep getting bigger. There's more and more therapeutic injection failures. The numbers that we really should be focusing in on here are not those ratios. Those ratios are, they are putting them out there to keep people afraid to try and drive more therapeutic injection acceptance. That's why they use those ratios. Those are the numbers we should ignore. Statistics can be manipulated to, to show whatever you want them to show. What needs to be, uh, what needs to happen is you need to look at the raw numbers behind those statistics. Like I said, those ratios those they're using, very small. And I'll prove it to you right now. If you look at the grand scheme of things, you look at the overarching totals 
on the CDC website, those are the numbers we should focus in on for the chances of someone dying from COVID. The running totals on the CDC's website that we know this is a seasonal, uh, a seasonal illness at this point. They haven't reset them, whatever. It, it just proves the point even more by them not resetting them the number seasonally like they do with the flu. So there now have been, as of Monday, uh, Monday's date on the CDC website, there have been over 51.1 million cases of reported COVID illness in the country. 51.1 million cases that have been reported. 805,000 deaths with COVID. I'll say with COVID because we know very few people actually die from it. It's with it. It's a contributing factor to death. To keep the fear up, they say these are 805,000 COVID deaths. We know it's with COVID for the vast majority of people. Now, if you do the numbers, that is a death rate of 1.6%. 1.6% of people that have contracted the coronavirus and COVID-19 have died. Tragic, absolutely tragic. But it's not the bubonic plague the hysterical clowns in the media and government would have you believe. That's a roughly on par with a, a bad flu season. It's a little more. Uh, but it's on par with a bad flu season. Also now, the other thing we need to take into account here, as I've mentioned earlier, that the vast majority of those who have died with COVID have also had comorbidities, whether it be cancer, heart conditions, obesity, whatever it is, they've had some other comorbidity or multiple comorbidities. So that makes the likelihood of a healthy individual dying from or with COVID even less than that death rate of 1.6%. To further illustrate this point, let's look at the the numbers here of who's actually dying of COVID. So if we look at this by the numbers, and this is from Statista, I will post it in the description box. 26% of deaths with COVID are those age 85 and older. 25.5% of deaths are those who are in the 75 to 84 age group. And 23% of deaths are those who are 65 to 74. All tragic, absolutely. But we're looking at, we know who this affects. We know who we need to protect. It is this peanut butter approach of everybody must take our therapeutic injection is ridiculous, it's wrong, and it's ineffective. If you add up, add up those totals I just gave on the age groups, it comes out to roughly 75% of the deaths with COVID are in the age group of 65 and older. So that's 600,000 people in those age groups. Yet, 
because the mediocres in the media and government want to try and keep us scared, they just give us the surface numbers. They just give us those ratios because they want to coerce more and more therapeutic injections, one, so they can keep their pharma donors happy. Two, I firmly uh, believe because the campaign promise was made that we are going to defeat COVID, we're going to defeat the virus, this administration has equated defeating the virus with getting everybody injected, almost said vaccinated there, injected with their, their therapeutic syrup. There's a number that they're they're going to reach, that they want to reach, and then they'll declare the pandemic magically over. I'll tell you what, the pandemic's already over. It's already over. But there's a magic number that I believe they're trying to hit here. That's why the pressure is on it. Keep the donors happy. Keep the pharma profits up so they have money to, to donate to both parties, actually. How many times have we see, hear, heard Republicans talk about well, you know, I got back and vaccinated. I think everybody should, but it's got to be a choice. Well, you're damn right. It's got to be a choice. At least the Republicans are getting that part of it right. I'm not here to uh, do. People need to do what they need for their own health. It's it's an individual decision. It's not a, 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 a senile president decision. It's not a bureaucrat decision. Not even truthfully your doctor's decision. Your doctor's job is to give you the pros and cons of it and let you make your own choice on whether it's right for you or not. There, there, there's, the whole thing stinks. It's political and it shouldn't be. But they keep throwing the data, they, they keep twisting the statistics to try and keep people afraid. Luckily, you know what? I don't, people aren't buying it anymore. Like I said, everybody has made their choice on whether they're going to take the therapeutic injection or not. And, and that's where we are. And and at this point, all this tough talk from a weak president is doing is alienating more and more people. It's alienating people uh, who, who took the first two injections and are now like, well, it doesn't work. I'm not getting the booster. Why, why do I want perpetual boosters? So we'll leave that one right there. I've got more on Omicron actually here, but we'll, we'll leave the uh, therapeutic injection topic there. So if you aren't subscribed to Alex Berenson's Substack, uh, you're missing out. Now, I just get the free version. I believe he's he's got a subscription uh, for like five bucks a month or something like that. Something It's rel rel uh, re reasonable, uh, tongue-tied there, <laughs> reasonable. Um, but I just get the free version. I've got so many other subscriptions and everything else. I I don't think I'd get my five bucks worth out of his Substack, but the free version is still, uh, he still sends like three or four updates a day. It comes to my email. It's great. So I, I, like I said, these, these updates, uh, they are just a treasure trove of information as it relates to the coronavirus and the therapeutic injections. I guess I kind of lied. I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the therapeutic injections with the Alex Berenson substack. At any rate, the post from Berenson on uh, Monday was an outstanding analysis of a, of a Danish study, a Danish data, and, and what they're seeing, what they're putting out, and what they're publishing. And, and I'll say this. What a sad state of affairs that this country, the greatest country 
in the world that has some of the most advanced technological capabilities in the world. It's a sad state of affairs when it, when our scientific studies and the data we have to rely on is coming from information uh, uh, presented by other countries. Uh, we are in a sad state in this country when we can't even trust our own data, our own government to, to give us the facts. And, and we're relying on studies from Denmark and South Africa and Sweden to try and piece all this together and, and we have to go and, and we can do it in our country. We can hunt through the CDC's website. We can paste that together. We can seek out all the, the non-mainstream uh, uh, sources of information, but nobody's putting it out there in a, in a transparent way. And that's a sad state when it comes to, to the, the, the scientific studies in our medical field. That that's we've politicized that and people aren't going to trust it. That I, I digress on that anyway. So this Danish study, uh, this Danish information is a treasure trove of how uh, what Berenson terms very detailed data about who is actually getting infected and hospitalized in Denmark. So Berenson references this and writes this about uh, this Danish data. He says. Most new COVID cases in Denmark occur in people who are vaccinated or boosted. And that is truth for both Omicron and earlier variants. More than 76% of non-Omicron COVID infections in Denmark are in vaccinated people. I'll read that again. More than 76% of non-Omicron COVID infections in Denmark are vaccinated people along with about 90% of Omicron infections. 90% are among vaccinated people. Further, Berenson goes on, he says, further, only 25 of the 561 people currently hospitalized in Denmark for COVID have the Omicron variant. Now, the Danes do not provide an exact number for patients in intensive care with Omicron, saying only that it is fewer than five. Think about that. 4% of people hospitalized in Denmark have Omicron, less than 1% are in the ICU. What do we have here? We have a second country here, Denmark, confirming that Omicron is basically a cold and that the therapeutic injections provide very little protection against infection, especially when it comes to the Omicron variant. Now, again, the therapeutic injections may provide some benefit in terms of preventing severe illness, but it's becoming clearer by the day they are a complete failure in prevention, and that's what they've been sold as and what they continue to, to somewhat be sold as. It, it, it Admittedly, the narrative has shifted from total prevention and eradication to it'll prevent you from having severe illness. 
Yet our regime is attempting to have us believe that the Omicron variant is the second coming of the bubonic plague. The Democrat sycophants in states like California and New York are falling right in line, ratcheting up restrictions and mandates to battle a variant that by all accounts is no worse than the common cold. Now, to be fair, could could this information change? Could the Omicron become something worse? Sure, things could change. We are still early on in the data collection phase of this new variant. However, with what we know so far, I would say that it's pretty a pretty good indicator. Now that we're a month into the uh, Omicron variant experience, that since those who have been infected are not dropping like flies, that we're not hearing reports of serious illness and mass hospitalizations, Omicron is not as much of a threat as previous COVID iterations were, at least to people's health. Sure, it'll make you sick. It'll give you maybe not common cold, maybe a a mild influenza is maybe more of an appropriate description. But it's, it's not going to, in general, lead to severe illness, mass hospitalizations, and death. It just so far has proven that that is not the case. So not necessarily a serious threat to people's health and overall well-being. Like I said, it'll make you sick. It'll be an inconvenience for, you know, seven, ten days, whatever it is, but not a huge threat to the population. What Omicron is a huge threat to, however, is the pocketbooks of the pharma companies that are pumping out, excuse me, pumping out these therapeutic injections. And it is a huge threat to the tenuous grasp on power our tyrant overlords think they have on us. If Omicron was, uh, and if Omicron and all subsequent variants are significantly weakened, they don't make people as sick, they are not as much of a threat to their life, then there will be no reason for people to get what is now shaping up to be twice yearly booster injections. If Omicron and subsequent variants are no worse than the common cold, let's call it a mild influenza, the last finger of the fear campaign gets shoved into the coffin and the top closed and the nails driven through it. The real threat of Omicron isn't to our health. Threat to our health, sure, not the real threat here of Omicron and let's call it subsequent weak variants. It's not, the real threat's not to our health. It is to the power and pocketbooks of those profiting off the fear campaign that they continue to push with this COVID narrative. That's the real threat of Omicron. That's the real threat of a variant that is not a serious threat to life. Now, there's one last nugget from this Danish data that Berenson points out. He says this, 
The Danish data also show that people with Omicron are both less likely to be hospitalized than those with other variants and released from the hospital much more quickly. And this is in line with what South African health authorities have reported. And dare I say, I'll post a link to the article, uh, there's the New York City health officials are saying the same thing. They're seeing the same thing. Goes back to what I said earlier about this not being as big of a threat. It is like and mild influenza and it will affect the majority of people that way. Again, could change, but month in data we have, trends keep pointing in that direction. And I would say this about what uh, uh, Berenson had just written here. This is what we can term as a trend. I would expect that as fast as Omicron is purported to be spreading, we should have a nice set of data that either supports the early findings of it not being as serious as prior iterations, or we will more quickly see changes to the viewpoint of these early findings. My bet is that we will see this trend continue, that Omicron will be a nuisance for most that get infected by it, and that it also will wake more people up to the deception of our government, the outright lies of our mediocre media, and their combined quest for authoritarian control. We will see Omicron, they'll, they'll continue to try and push it as, as the next bubonic plague. It will be nothing, uh, uh, nothing like anything like that. And we will see more and more people wake up to the deception going on here. All right, uh, enough about viruses. Build Back Better appears to be on life support. Joe Manchin, or let's be real here, and I would say more appropriately, the West Virginians whom Joe Manchin still listens to and recognizes he can't get into office without, seemingly have killed this bill. This thing is essentially dead at this point from stories that are, and from the stories that are are circulating here that you read and in the comments made by the, the radical leftists that for whatever reason, uh, the news outlets continue to put on TV. Uh, I don't know why they think people want to watch these uh, buffoons make fools of themselves, but uh, mention just he's, he's continuing to dig in his heels uh, with this. And he just, these radicals keep, dig in their hole deeper and deeper. Uh, Manchin isn't going to change his mind at this point. Uh, these, these radicals that are running the Biden administration, the squad, other Democrats, but you know, they're, they kind of hide behind the, uh, whoever's running the Biden administration at this point in the squad. Uh, these, they, they stupidly continue to absolutely bash Manchin for doing his job for saying, standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to vote for this. These policies are going to do more harm than good to the American people. Good policy harms no one. And Manchin recognizes this bill's full of all kinds of policies that are gonna harm someone. 
no, these radicals, they, they obviously do not subscribe to the, the, the old uh, axiom here of you get more flies with honey. So Manchin is, at least right now anyway, uh, I think his constituents will continue to put pressure on him and and he'll he'll hold his ground. That's at least what I think anyway. So Manchin right now is not seemingly inclined to even negotiate any further on this disaster of a bill. And even better, you've got Suck Schumer, who still thinks this bill's a winner, still thinks we need to put it to a vote. And he's promising to put the bill to a vote in the new year. Now, I have this from an AP article. I'll link it in the description box. It says this. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed on Monday that the chamber would vote early in the new year on Biden's Build Back Better Act as it now stands. So every senator has the opportunity to make their position known on the Senate floor, not just on television. Now, yes, this is a shot at Manchin because he did announce on television uh, that, that he's not voting for it. It's dead and on arrival to him. He won't vote for it. You assume that there's going to be the, the 50 Republicans that hold their ground on this. You could probably throw cinema in there too. So, so Schumer wants to put, put Demer, he wants to put his caucus on record on this thing because he, they, this is what, I don't understand is how they see these, they see the same numbers we do. How do they think this thing's a winner? We're going to still put it to a vote, even though the polling says it sucks, even though Manchin's basically entire state of West Virginia's, I'm assuming, told Manchin, do not vote for this thing. It's, it's killing us. We're a state that's heavy, you know, still reliant on, on coal industry. We still, you know, uh, deal with the fossil. We still need the fossil fuels to to run life, basically, the way we want to. Don't vote for it. Uh, how Schumer thinks that this is going to help is beyond me. These this this shows how out of touch these people are with reality. This shows that they need to get out of Washington. Well, Chuck Schumer needs to get out of New York and go and visit other places and see what other people think. I I say, though, you know what? This is perfect. Go ahead and take that vote, Chuck. This disaster of a bill isn't as popular as you think it is. And you're putting your senators from purple states on record as voting for this bill. That's going to hurt their chances in the next election. Regular people recognize what a disaster this is. We're already dealing with the inflation. We're already dealing with the lies of uh, of pay your fair share. You're going to put your, your senators from purple states on record and, and hurt their chances. Go ahead, Chuck. Go right on ahead. Bless your heart for trying this. Now, if I was one of those senators from a purple state, we have actually a couple here in, in Wisconsin. Uh, we've got Ron Johnson, who's a Republican. Uh, Tammy Baldwin, who's who's a, the Democrat senator from our state. If if I was Tammy Baldwin, I would be backing as far away from this debacle as I could. If I was a senator in a purple state, 
I am backing away from this thing as far as I could. If I'm one of those senators from Georgia that just got elected by the the skin of my teeth, I would be backing away from this. I believe one of them is up in this next, I believe Raphael Warnock is up in this next cycle in 2022. I would be backing away. I would vote no on this thing when Schumer puts it to a vote on the floor. I wouldn't be on record in favor of voting for this thing, especially if my political career is at stake. You've seen how many... Uh, how many uh, representatives have been saying they're not running in the next cycle. There's a reason for that. They know, they see the the bloodbath coming. And and Schumer's going to put his senators on record, especially the ones that are up in 2022. Now that we're getting closer and closer, he's going to put them on record. That's not going to be a winner on the campaign trail. But hey, like I said, bless your heart, Chuck, for trying. You know what, there's times when sticking together is good and and moving forward for a a common cause, you have to have the momentum behind you though. And and there's times when it's not advisable to stick together. My advice to Democrats on this one is this isn't one of those times to stick together, especially if you've got an election coming up next year, this, and it's, you can't hide it anymore that this has been a complete train wreck of an administration. And the smart money right now is to back away from anything they are pushing. It's they're they're historically unpopular. Now, do I actually think that Democrats outside of Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema will back away from this thing? No, they're they aren't actually likely to think for themselves and back away from this disaster of a bill. So what you'll see is they'll be I'm not sure where Cinema stands on it yet. We know Manchin's out. Not sure where cinema is going to land on it, but you know we're going to have 48 or 49 votes for it. And then it'll be up to we the people to remember which ones who uh, voted for this that voted to further inflame our inflationary pressures and give tax breaks to the rich after admonishing them for not paying their fair share. Yes, part of this bill is to reinstate the salt tax deduction, state and local tax deductions, and kick it from $10,000 up to $72,500 for high-income earners who choose to continue to vote for unencumbered state and local government spending that drives up their taxes. So they put as part of this bill that the rest of us have to subsidize deductions for state and local taxes for places like New York City, Chicago, L.A., all the big city tax hells that just keeps blowing money, blowing the people's money with nothing in return. Now, we're going to spread that out and give people and say we want deductions for this for every the whole country is going to pay for the few that choose to keep voting for uh, wish list items in, in these cities and in, in tax hell states. Uh, Give me a break. These people are hypocrites. It's up to us. We need to keep track of who votes in favor for the steaming pile of crap and use it as a sledgehammer over and over when that senator is up for re-election, whether it be 2022, 23, 24. We need to have a long memory on this thing. When Schumer puts it to a vote, who voted for it. And we don't let them forget it. All right, my last story for the day. 
so Monday night, Tucker Carlson had an interesting thought on his show, an interesting part of, I think, believe it was in his monologue. It was this. Are we seeing the Democrat Party in their final death throes of being an actual legitimate political party in this country? It's an interesting thought. And if you look at and think about historically how these things have gone, you kind of can say maybe, yeah, maybe they are. They certainly are losing their grip on power much faster than I thought would happen. We're not even a year into the resident Biden regime, and the poll numbers are record-setting awful. Nobody likes Biden, and even more people don't like Kamala Harris. Uh, that was just, that was absolutely stupid on their part. Nobody liked her in the primaries. And now you, you put her as a useless, I mean, that, has there been any vice president that has been more useless than Kamala Harris? What is she actually doing? She's supposed to be protecting our border. She's not doing that. Uh, what is what is it she's doing? Uh, her poll numbers reflect what people think of her, I guess. The last thing I, the last I saw was she had a 28% approval rating. Uh, sub 30%. That, you are getting into Congress territory there on that one. Uh, just record-setting awful poll numbers. Uh, Tucker made the point that when a political entity starts losing their grip on power, when they start to die as a legitimate entity, that is when they are the most dangerous and attempt to put more of a stranglehold on their power by becoming more and more tyrannical. Well, this is certainly playing out. The endless mandates, the vaccine passport, the uh, now Chicago uh, in the new year, you, you have to show your papers to eat inside, to go to a sporting event inside in Chicago. Well, I guess I won't be going to Chicago. I, absolutely stupid. How how people aren't putting this stuff uh, to a, a, a constitutional challenge is beyond me. Uh, that's neither here nor there. We're we're seeing the stranglehold. We're seeing the the tyrannical, more and more tyrannical tendencies play out here. We then, like I said, the endless mandates, the continued scapegoating of those who have chosen bodily autonomy over taking the therapeutic injection for the administration's failures, scapegoating those people for the administration's failures. They need a villain to try and and justify, hey, we're going to protect you from these dirty, unvac uh, unvaccinated, uninjected people. I keep on saying vaccinated. These dirty, uninjected people. The continued threats to our liberty with insane requirements to show your vaccine papers just to participate in society. How, like I said, how is that getting passed? Uh, there, there has to be a good constitutional lawyer out there that's got to challenge these things. You need to show papers just to participate in it. What does that, what does that sound like? All these things point to a party that is losing legitimacy and losing their grip on power. Traditional Democrat voters are leaving in droves. The Hispanic voters, black voters, suburban soccer moms, and the single moms, they're all leaving the Democrat party. Why? Because you've screwed with the kids. You kept the schools shut down. You put our kids behind. 
you act like you're entitled. The Democrats act like they're entitled to the Hispanic vote and the black vote. They're letting illegal immigrants come across the border, alienating the those that have come here legally and did it the right way and continue to do it the right way. The ones that have been naturalized and done things the right way to come to this country so they can live their best life. They're all leaving the Democrat Party because they see what a train wreck of hypocrisy it is. This is their coalition of reliable voters, though. They know without these voters, their prospects at winning national elections with any regularity goes down dramatically. I'd say you could even maybe take that to the state and even local levels. That's why they're letting all these uh, illegal immigrants across the border. That's why you see in places like New York City, I believe it was New York City, where they're putting it out there to let non-citizens vote. Who gets to vote in an election when they are not a citizen? That's why they're doing this. Their grip on power is so tenuous, they have to bring in new voters. They have to find new voters. So that tells me that they feel like their grip on their traditional strongholds like New York City, New York State is tenuous. If you're saying, well, we should let those here that are non-citizens vote, why should they get a say? They don't live here. They probably vote in their own countries. If they're here on a visa, I'm sure they they do their own uh, vote in their own countries. And then not to mention the illegal immigrants. Well, let's let them vote too. Why? Because they're Democrat voters. They're, that's the new Democrat coalition is is the non uh, the non uh, residents of the country. Because all the the sane residents of the country are leaving that party. They know the Democrats know their prospects uh, of winning anything with any regularity is going down dramatically, especially with all the, the exodus of, of what was the Democrat voter. Now, it's debatable for how long their prospects go down because we all know Republicans will find a way to screw it up. You would think it, it should be a generation or more that that the prospects of the Democrat Party to, to win anything of significance would be slim. But the GOP will figure out how to hand this gift of uh, of uh, severe Democrat overreach and tyranny and, and scapegoating of the people. They'll, they'll figure out how to hand that back and, and they'll screw it up somehow. We all know they will barely get anything accomplished. That's the GOP. Should they at some point regain the trifecta of the House, Senate, and the presidency? My hopes aren't high for the Republicans to have any uh, to have a, a generational streak at the national level. Uh, you know, something that we haven't seen maybe since the days of of uh, Reagan. You know, maybe you go back to even Nixon, Ford, throw Carter in there, and then you had Reagan and Bush. I, you know, that's that's a gen- will we see a generational streak like that? Who knows? Uh, my confidence isn't high in the Republican Party to to actually do anything. But 
at any rate, what we're seeing, we may be actually witnessing the end of the Democratic Party as we know it. This party has been hijacked by radical leftists. That's who they're listening to. And you know what? That just isn't America. America is not a radical country. America is a centrist country. Yeah, some are to the left a little, some to the right a little. But it's a centrist country. It's full of sensible people who just want to earn a decent living, who just want to live their best life. They just want to enjoy life with their families. That's who America is. We don't want endless government programs shoved down our throats. And those endless government programs, let's be honest, they're money laundering units. Uh, We don't want them. We don't want a tyrannical government monitoring our every move, telling us what to think, telling us what to do, telling us take this injection. Honestly, we are more than capable of making our own decisions. We are more than capable of thinking for ourselves, deciding what is fact and fiction after uh, getting both sides of the story, after taking a look for ourselves on what does the data say? What is this actually telling me? Yes, Tucker may be right. The Democrat Party is in its, as it is in its current form, may be disintegrating. You may see it splinter, may see it die. But while it does, while it goes through these death throes, they still are in control of the Congress and the presidency. And that makes them dangerous to liberty because they will try to tighten their grip on what little power they have left. They will try and, and, and squeeze that, that last little bit from the turnip. It's up to us, though. It's up to us, those who love the Constitution, who value freedom and liberty, to continue to hold the line, to, con- to continue to assert and defend our rights that are granted to us by our Creator, and secured by our Constitution. We will need to continue to fight to hold on to freedom and liberty while the party in charge goes through its death throes. I'll say this, it's it's going to be an exciting time. It is actually, this is the optimist in me, a kind of an exciting time that we're living through. We're living through a historical political realignment in our country. We finally hit the rock bottom of... Uh, of what the left and the socialists and the communists have been trying to do this country for decades. We we finally hit that. We finally see it. They've hijacked one of the political parties, the one of the major political parties. For whatever reason, they ignore all the centrists that are still in that party and listen to the radicals. Who knows why? Well, we, I think we all know why. But the optimist in me says this is an exciting time. We're seeing a a historical realignment in our country. I think we're seeing a return to patriotism. We're seeing a a renewed uh, interest in our Constitution and what it actually says and means for our rights that are secured by it. It's also going to be a tough time, though. We have a dying tyrannical party in charge that they're not going to go quietly. We've seen that. Over and over. They're not going to go quietly. They're going to continue to propagandize, lie, and gaslight us. You know what? Changes for the better are never easy, though. And are painful to go through. But 
I do believe we will come out better as a country on the other side of this. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.